Well, on that note, y'all uh, ready to do a show? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah let's All right. Do it. <laughs> As business owners, entrepreneurs. Well, that went. Oh, great. screw it. <laughs> Fuck it. We'll do it live. Yeah. <laughs> we'll fucking do it live. Uh, you're not supposed to do that. Clip that, Jay Pink, because you can't do that within the six seconds of the sh start of a show. So uh, <laughs> let's run it again. Run uh, it again. Uh, yeah, I, but yeah. Let's, let's do it again. Uh, I don't know if I can. No, Although we're not doing it again. Get out of here. What are you? Uh, quit. I quit think acting all the like we're live. Died. We're not doing this a second time. Are we doing live? <laughs> I I, yeah, live. I can't. All of them are broken. Good. <laughs> Good. You know what? Every sounder is, is is dead. This is hey, listen. It's uh, it's Let now Chatterbait Lawns. It's all live. All right. Yes. Get those. Well, we're not at, at Joe Knows Turf yet, so you know we'll we'll get it figured out. <laughs> tokens, tokens, <laughs> line up the tokens. Uh, thank you everybody for tuning in. Uh, sorry for I'll the show hard cold intro there. Yeah, we uh we're doing we're doing nipples for tokens tonight. I appreciate you tuning in. Uh, this <laughs> is another down. episode of. of Burner return. Uh, uh, so Demay has top button unbuttoned, uh, second button buttoned, third button can be unbuttoned in the event <laughs> that we need to expose uh, on air. Three. Uh, there is three. video here. If you're if you're into that thing, you can you can check it out on YouTube. Uh, I would <laughs> highly just recommend. Just went to number one in Bulgaria. Remain yeah. remain in audio form uh, until until you finish at least audio form. Then you can dip over to uh, to video because. I don't. I, Unless you're we, into we bears. And like, and like, if you're into bears, you better you better hop onto YouTube right now, right yeah. now. You got two. Yeah. You got two of the Click three it. best thousand times on YouTube. Seriously. You really do. You really do. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna. You got to be shitting me. Where did that come from? It came from the heavens. It's difficult for us to find. The oh Lord, have mercy! The boogeyman is out to get us tonight. Did you hear that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, Did you, the ghost of Christmas past showed up. We were minutes beyond you, intro, yet you still <laughs> christened us as if we, we needed it at this point. We didn't. Woodchopper said uh, Ron Henry's hacking. Uh, yeah, I was just going to comment on that, actually. We did a, uh, we, we chopped out, just for, for grins and giggles, a, um, a Jonas Turf segment uh, where, that featured Ron Henry. Love Ron. Um, it was hard, hardly anything that that, or a, a lot of the situations we run into is that in lieu of giving good advice, uh, oftentimes it's uh, the 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 pitch is for a product that has a sales code, uh, in lieu of just giving an honest answer sometimes, and uh, and we we like to catch those, and uh, you know I noticed like a couple of people were like, well, I've I've seen you recommend that you know apply preventative fungicides. Yes, a hundred percent. If you have history with the property, I mean, if you go back and listen to everything I said, if you have history with the property, especially if you're in the transition zone, and uh, it's not a matter of uh, of if you get uh, brown patch, it's a matter of when you get brown patch. Here's the mm -hmm. other thing: one of the big things that I love to explain to people is the timing of that first application is what you look at is going to be a consistent five days of greater than 80 to 85 degrees during the day and over 60 degrees at night. And, uh, and, I, and I talked about that for a long time. I never gave anybody a calendar day. I can say that normally, for me, that may be somewhere around May 15th. Then I start to see that in the forecast, and then I know uh, that's what's coming up. 
Not always the case. Uh, this year, we are certainly not going to be there by May 15th. We'll be lucky to be there by June just because it's been unseasonably cold here in Tennessee. And, uh, and so anyway, uh, that is going to be the difference versus being in the middle of April or dealing with Bermuda grass and making the recommendation that, oh, you see spring dead spot in the spring via dead patches. Therefore, you need to apply headway G under no circumstances ever, not once, not ever, ever should you apply that in April uh, for spring dead spot that you're seeing as dead grass in April. Never. There's never a time ever in the history of grass, in the future of grass, will headway be effective in that scenario for that disease at that time of year. So anyway, that's why we like to do these. And if you were not able to catch the nuance of our, of, as, as we've talked about it before in the past, hopefully, uh, whether, whether it was how we, it was uh, so eloquently put by uh, uh, Ryan in the, uh, in the gobbler there, um, and, uh, and, and, and just a, a tinge more context, Right now, at the start of this show, hopefully it all comes full circle. Anyway, you'll love the next one that's going to come out. It should be highly controversial as well, too, uh, just because <laughs> you know we're the we're, we're the mean we're the mean guys picking on people. But in in reality, we do it from the standpoint that uh, we're, we're you know it, it becomes it becomes something that we see and um, and you know all right, it's like you come home from work right, and and you've got you've got two kids, you got a ten and a seven year old, and you noticed that uh, they they got into the uh, the Cliff Bars, and uh, and they they rummaged rummaged through uh, four four Cliff Bars, two apiece, right? And uh, and there's like a quarter of a Cliff Bar left, and there's four wrappers laying on the table. I can walk past it and pretend it's not there, or uh, because everybody's in bed as I walk past it, I can just go ahead and pick it up and throw it away. You know, just a little tidying up, right? And so <laughs> we see this as an opportunity for us to tidy it up because these are the types of things that we deal with professionally day in and day out. And therefore, to keep our space a little neat and tidy, we like to talk about these things because talking about it for us helps us purge it from our uh, our, our purview there and we can we can move on with it and not think about it anymore. Plus, it provides an opportunity for us to share with you the little bits that creep into our mind from a day-to-day -day, uh, deal that you know, we, we, we work and live in and we provide for our families for. And, uh, and unfortunately, why it's so easy for people to misconstrue that as we're being the bad guys. No, it's because we do this full-time, all day, every day. It's how we built our careers. That's how we bought our houses. That's how we bought our vehicles. That's how we send our kids to school. Uh, that's how we, how we buy groceries. And so therefore, we're just trying to keep things a little tidy. So hope that helps. Uh, if the if the uh, uh, sounders are back, let's let's go ahead and jump into this week's headlines. Good, they're not back because I didn't want to hear it anyway. And you know what? It's going to happen. And to hell with you, sounder. You're going to show up in two and a half minutes and start playing as we're balls deep into this article, and I'm not going to forgive you. That is what is going on here, soundboard. <laughs> Will not put up with your dog shit today. He's, Kooky ass computers is what it is. It's the. Uh... I what did I tell you? What did I tell you? I knew it. Yikes! This is just the news. It is just the news. And the first one here that we have coming out is uh, I love, I love the name of this website. It's called Truth Out, and uh, and I have not pre-read this, so I do not know 
how this is going to read. But when I see something called truth out, this is a coin flip of the direction it's going to go. And the headline is even spicier, right? The, the, the spicy ass headline here says EPA report shows common family of pesticides poses threat to over 200 species. Of what? Uh, despite the massive threat to ecosystems, the Biden administration is dragging its feet on regulating the chemicals. Oh, man. Uh, the font and, and byline here looks like uh, the Atlantic, by the way. I'm just going to go ahead and point that out. Uh, mm-hmm. Truth And it says, uh, truth out is an indispensable resource for activists, movement leaders, and workers everywhere. Please make this work possible with a quick donation. Uh, driver, we will share the link with you because I'm sure... This is your type of source check that you're going to get a massive, massive monumental record-setting erection over. Uh, a newly published assessment from the U.S. EPA warns that three of the most commonly used neonicotinoid insecticides threaten the continued ex- ex- existence of more than 200 endangered plants and, spe- and animal species. The EPA's analysis shows we've got a five-alarm fire on our hands, and there's now no question that neonicotinoids play an outsized role in our heartbreaking extinction crisis, said Lori Ann Bird, who has not had an orgasm in six years. Environmental health director at the Center for Biological Diversity said Friday in a statement. Uh, The EPA has to use the authority it has to take fast action to ban these pesticides, said Bird. So future generations don't live in a world without bees and butterflies and the plants that depend on them. The agency's new analysis found that clothanidin, imidacloprid, and thiamethoxam likely jeopardize the continued existence of 166, 199, and 204 plants and animals protected under the Endangered Species Act, respectively. This includes 25 distinct insects, more than 160 plants relying on insect pollination, and dozens of fish, birds, and invertebrates. Species being put at risk of extinction include the whooping crane, Indiana bat, plymouth red-bellied turtle, yellow larkspur, Atwater's greater prairie chicken, Rusty-patched bumblebee, Horner blue butterfly, American bearing beetle, western prairie-fringed orchid, vernal pool fairy shrimp, and spring pygmy sunfish. The EPA confirmed what we have been warning about for years. These neonicotinoid insecticides pose an existential threat to many endangered species and seriously undermines biodiversity, says Sylvia Wu, senior attorney at the Center for Food Safety. Unfortunately, this dire news is that we have told the EPA all (laughs) along. The EPA should be ashamed that it is still yet to ban these life-threatening pesticides. EPA is well aware of the risk associated with three neonicotinoids in question. Uh, One year ago, the agency released biological evaluations showing that the vast majority of endangered species are likely harmed by clothanidin, um, imidacloprid, and thiamethoxin. Its new analysis on which imperiled species and critical habitants are likely to be driven extinct by the trio of insecticides. Uh, it, it, we're all going to die. All the animals are going to die. And then we're going to die. The EU does it better, but not as good enough. And then we're, we will die next. And if you don't understand, uh, the, the catastrophic global decline of insects made clear that a serious reduction in pesticide use is essential to prevent the extinction of up to 41% of the world's insects in coming decades, or you're all going to die. Um, anyway, uh, this, okay, without a doubt, and uh, what I'm not going to argue is that uh, neonicotinoids are risk-free. 100%, I'm not going to argue that. And I'm also going to argue is that neonicotinoids should be used in tight accordance of the label and should be used only when absolutely necessary. Again, 
logging data, having uh, a historical trend to be able to show uh, uh, whether that be uh, cultural impacts, uh, seasonal impacts, weather impacts, any kind of data that you can log. So that way, if anybody ever questions your decision to use a neonicotinoid, you can beat them over the head with the data. Uh, or in the, cans, uh, in the case of uh, uh, Lori um, and birds, uh, you, can, you can use it to power her vibrator and for Christ's sake, get her off her high horse one good time. Uh, boys, I'll let y'all <laughs> chime in on this and uh, and see if we can't we can't bring all this to climax. Okay, Matt. You know, there's this fear to ban nicotinoids because they're what's wrong with the world. However, Matt. Okay, I I come from the time when there was no such thing as new nicotinoids, right? And do you know what used to be done in agricultural production? Uh, insect control. Uh, uh, no, it, it gets better. I mean, chlorpyrifos, no, I'm going to tell you guys a good one. Can Diasma. you imagine, you know, field crops, right? Like mm. corn, soybeans, cotton, fruit trees. Can you imagine those kind of crops being aerially sprayed with carbaryl? Several <laughs> times a season. Okay. Now, do you guys know why bees. I'm picking? No. Do you know why I'm picking on carbaryl? Uh, because it it's is an because... organophosphate. No, it's because carbaryl has this special property in that it contaminates flowers that the bees are are visiting, and then the bee takes that carbaryl contaminated pollen back to its hive. Mm -hmm. And then mm -hmm. that carbaryl contaminated pollen then proceeds to FUBAR the colony. Everybody's dead. And this used to happen on a regular basis when the only insect control for crops in production was an application of one of the organophosphate or carbamate pesticides whereas do you guys know that the majority of neonicotinoids is applied as either a seed or a soil treatment yes in agricultural production yes. and here's what that seed or soil application does as far as the bees go that seed or soil application takes the place of multiple in-season foliar pesticide applications, right? So instead of spraying, the grower just gets to watch his crop grow. No insecticides are applied. And here's my thought on this because I've been using imidacloprid as a soil injection on trees and shrubs since it became labeled for that usage in 1995. Matt, I don't want to go back to the old days. Okay, I really don't. And because prior to 1995, I was the person in the Chernobyl suit shooting diazinon up into a tree 20 feet tall. I was that guy. I don't want to go back to that. Okay. 
I mean, I'll just say this, uh, that it, it's clear what the motives are at, at a larger level, right? Is is we've mm-hmm. seen there's going to be a review, an EPA review of many um many of the active ingredients that are out there right now in right? current use uh, yes <laughs> in current use and so obviously i'm gonna say that there's an axe to grind but clearly the, you know the writing's on the wall here what's going to happen and i i am concerned again this whole velocity of change thing right so if we get rid of these right and there is obviously some downsides to them right some of which bear out in science and, and and are proven, right? And other that we're still, you know, not completely sure of. That all being said, is if we get rid of those, then what? What is the alternative? And I'm I'm sure people are going to say, oh, you know, we'll use you know milky spore. We'll use this. We use that. It's uh, I, I don't no. know. I I'll be interested no. to see, especially in production yeah. agriculture, where this goes. In turf, we've got options. Well, maybe not you, Ray, but we've got options. And <laughs> yeah. Hang on one second, right? Here's the interesting thing, right? So we, mm-hmm. we, we're citing the two people on here. Uh, we have the lady who I was colloquially busting her uh, ovaries a little bit. And um, mm-hmm. uh, it's, what's interesting is that they're both attorneys, you know, and it, it reads like the, the, the director of the uh, uh, Center for Biological Diversity, right? That sounds like a real thing. Uh, it's not. Uh, by the way, uh, they they you have a bunch is? of advisors, yep. right? But it's it's she's she's an attorney, and then mm-hmm. the other one who's cited in it is also attorney. You know what these people are waiting for? They want to get it banned, and then they're going to sue the holy shit out of every manufacturer of clothanidin, imidacloprid, and uh, and uh, uh, the, the the other one, and and just go absolute ape shit and try to make as much money as humanly possible. And yep. uh, and that's what is really dictating this whole thing is a giant payday, right? They're going to ride the 503C organization all the way through, raise all this money, scaring the holy shit out of any and everybody they possibly can for the ultimate goal of a giant payday at the end of it all, right? And yep. uh, and so I don't, I don't, again, if we can think about this in the most basic and logical and thought out way, again, it's applied the majority of the time as a seed treatment. It's never exposed to flowers. It's not exposed to pollinators. And therefore, it's containment, which is the, the, the majority of the issue about it, is that when it's atmospheric or it's uh, uh, atomized or sprayed at the wrong time of the year, uh, that becomes a problem, right? Seed mm-hmm. treatment, you're mitigating the overwhelming majority of the risk of what, of what comes with these. And that's why in trees and shrubs, uh, uh, you see so many of the recommendations now are, say, are saying do soil drenches, like for uh, um, the uh, the crepe myrtles that get the, the the black bark, right? You do you do a drench, right? Instead of getting out there and lighten up the, the leaves that are uh, probably all defoliated anyway, you know, you're not, you're not going to be yeah. spraying the bark and getting it into the plant. Net, so, anyway. And anyway, the impetus for this anti-new nicotinoid movement here in the United States, I think this all started when that one fucktard decided to spray trees at that shopping mall in Oregon with dinotefuran. Yep. Yep. And, and you know what the amazing thing about that was to me is 
the bees probably would have been fine had he applied that dinotifurin as a soil injection rather than busting out his JD-9 and shooting that thing 25 feet up in the air. I mean, they would have been yep. fine because, you know, this is why you always hear me rant about people that spray neonicotinoids on foliage, on trees and shrubs. That's why that's a super sore subject with me. Because you don't freaking need to do that. <laughs> it's not necessary. Okay? I mean, you really don't have to do that. And uh, I'm going to tell you all another one since there's been some time and distance. I know somebody that got into the hugest of trouble spraying someone in the face with a combination of abamectin and dinotifurin. Okay? And again... Usually that costs you extra. No, my last words in that instance were, why was your client not applying this as a soil injection? <laughs> um. Well, we'll see how this shakes out, and it's definitely something we're going to keep an eye on. Uh, I'm going to fly through the rest of the headlines here. Florida is looking to end the blackout dates, uh, so that should be interesting. Now, the uh, for people that are freaking out, don't, um, because one of the things that we will generate from this is a significant amount of data, right? So a one-year pause on bans would allow the University of Florida's Institute for Food and Agriculture to study the outcome for future models and policies according to lawmakers, right? So... Uh, this could be, it, it's being scripted as like, oh, you're trying to kill everybody. But the university is like, actually, this is awesome because this is the backside of the data set that we really need uh, in order <laughs> to figure out just how actually effective it is. So uh, don't panic. Everything is going to be okay, right? Uh, it, I, I swear, we're not all going to die. Uh, and then no mo may is a bad idea for ca Canadian lawns. Um, so anyway, they go into this, they explain why. Uh, dandelions aren't going to save the bees, by the way, uh, and that is that is coming from not an attorney, as a matter of fact. Uh, so that's that's actually coming from uh, an an actual scientist. Uh, dandelions and agronomist. Yes. Yeah. So good good luck there. Uh, we're refuting that. And then we also have um, Lawrence responds to destruction of remnant prairie from broadband herbicide application. And uh, and if I can get this to pull up here, uh, the city sprayed the whole thing with herbicide. Uh, a 6,000-year-old prairie filled with rare wildflowers got sprayed with an herbicide. And, uh, and yeah, everybody is pissed. You're going to lose so many species. Blah, 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 blah. It's all going to come back because you know why? They've been depositing seeds there for a long-ass time. And that mm -hmm. single application is not going to do anything to restrict that. You'll get a knockdown. And guess what? Next spring, it's going to be just as beautiful as it was the spring before. So while I, I know that this is going to cause panic and everybody's afraid that they're all going to die now, that biodiversity is dead in this area, uh, put a sign up, put a memorial up, go downtown and uh, hang a banner or a statue for the day that biodiversity died in Lawrence. Uh, and, uh, and then take it down next year when it all comes back. And it is, uh, it, you, you'll feel better about yourself. I promise it's going to be less crazy. Uh, that being said, by the way, our show is brought to you by the people who listen to us, okay? Uh, we're able to do this because we continue to get support from people like you. Uh, and, I, and I'll explain how this works. Patreon.com forward slash burn return. You get access to uh, our behind the scenes deal, which is a, it's a Discord server where we hang out. We post uh, uh, our research that's going on, shit we find. We, we post in there. Uh, we hang out in there. 
Uh, we have a community of other uh, badass people that hang out in there that come from every walk and uh, race, creed, religion of life. And uh, and if you if you want to talk about those things, you can. If you want to talk about grass, you can. If you want to talk about research, you can. Uh, if you want to know the nitty gritties of the industry, we do that. If you want to hop on a Zoom call and hang out and have adult beverages, we do that. Uh, if you want to talk uh, like uh, and use bad words because you're uh, a closet uh, uh, potty mouth, you can do that. And uh, you know we we, it, we we let it fly. We're not censoring anybody, and it. it's a it's a it's a cool place to come hang out and hear a diverse set of opinions and lifestyles and everything above and beyond. And I'm 100. percent uh, I've fucking love everybody in there. And I mean that from the absolute bottom of my heart. Uh, it's cheap to get in uh, for, uh, for for everything you get access to. And so uh, so check it out. Uh, Patreon.com forward slash burn and return. And, uh, and what we, we do is at the, at the end of the month, when we collect the money from the patrons, you, you know what we don't do? We are not paying ourselves. Uh, what that money goes to is different funds and shit that we put together through the course of the year. Like we're going to have a live meetup uh, coming up in uh, um, uh, in Five October. Months. Yeah. And, and that's, that's going to be crazy as hell. Uh, we've, this will be our third one. And, uh, and so it goes <laughs> to offsets a, a lot of the costs from that. Uh, and then, uh, we, we have a, uh, a, 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 a scholarship that we do. I mean, we, we do, we do all kinds of shit that we're really into. We, we like to do raises for, we did a gigantic, well in excess of $10,000 raise for St. Jude even. And, uh, and that was the, uh, the, the, the Travis budget lawn, lawns fund that we did. And, uh, and so, you know, if you, if you think that this is what we're doing to get rich, and if you think we're doing this to try to draw people in to, to sell them something, but this does not show corporate donations, which is actually over $2,000 in corporate donations. And so that actually put us over 11 grand that we ended up raising for uh, St. Jude. And that went straight to St. Jude, not us. We didn't take 10% off of it for fees or whatever that shit is. 100% of this that came in, 100% of it went to St. Jude and towards helping the people that actually fucking need it, right? You know, kids that are struggling with cancer and families that are having to deal with that. And, uh, and so it was really, really amazing to be able to participate in that. Uh, and then uh, on, the, on, on the flip side, you know, uh, it, that's, that's why we do not give a shit about selling anybody anything on this platform. What we care about is sharing with you our experiences that we've been through and whether you want to get into this industry or you hear our experiences and you're like, I'm going to stay the fuck away from that industry. That's fine. We're here to tell you the truth. We're here to be humble about it. We're here to tell you when we fuck up. We're here to tell you when we have successes and we hope and encourage you to do the same. Uh, so patreon.com forward slash burn return. With that, I'm going to turn this over to you, Demay, for this week's episode of... <laughs> Ciao. No stuff. I'm Ciao. I'm gonna give you a bunch of accurate turf facts today because Ciao. No stuff. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to make sure that everybody understands what we're here to do on Joe Knows Turf. And uh, if you don't know the history of where this segment came from, it came from uh, the COVID times when Matt actually had an internet radio program. And back then it was called Bo Knows Turf. But we found out that Bo doesn't know a fucking thing about turf. And Joe actually does. So we had to rename the segment. Fortunately, unfortunately, depending on your perspective there. Sorry, Bo. And, uh, you know, nowadays, uh, what we try to do is highlight a video that uh, may be giving us some good information. We've seen some. 
And more often is we get videos that are sent to us that are maybe a little bit suspect or have some information in there that maybe it needs to get cleaned up. Just like Matt was saying before, we're the uh, sexy maids of internet lawn care, right? We're just here to look good and tidy up, right? Is that fair? Yeah. Bikini With maids? faces of radio, we still pull it off. We still pull it we off. Do. Open <laughs> us up on YouTube. You can listen on Spotify and all that, but you know what? Open it up on YouTube and look at us. And if you look at us and you don't say, that three, these are three of the most diverse and sexy men I've ever come across, then you could go fuck yourself and go and go watch someone who's, who's you know, like Mr. Beast or whatever you're into. You cuck. <laughs> who's that lady that needs to have an orgasm again? What's her name? Lisa? Uh, hang on. <laughs> I've actually got it in another another window over here. Uh, let me We're going to need to see a picture of that lady. Her. Uh, I, I did. I found her and, uh, her name is Lorianne bird. And, uh, mm. boy, I did not see her picture when I said that. And it's funny, man, because when I opened up her picture, I was like, oh my God, I nailed it. How did I know? It's amazing. It's amazing. Sometimes you're just so oh, in tune with the, with the content that you're reading that, you know, what the other person looks like. And this, this lady is out there trying to find her orgasmic chi in the world right now. And I, I wish her the best. <laughs> I know it's, it's, it's a journey, you know, and don't. <laughs> don't get frustrated if you don't if you don't end at the finish line the first time. It's 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 about the I'm journey, gonna, not gonna, the not the race. Yeah, I'm going to paraphrase uh, my favorite comedian George Carlin here when I say this, but there's uh, you know women uh, women and men that are you know for certain causes that you just wouldn't want to fuck anyway. How about that? Just the, just the way the world works. <laughs> All right, so uh, tonight a video was sent to us to take a look at because. Hey, listen, I, I'm I'm we're willing to help out. We do have patron funds that if you know if if there's something we can do, a Tachiwan, a gigolo, <laughs> some human trafficking, whatever. Does Epstein have a black book of of never mind. All right. Um <laughs> Yikes. Dudes? Does he have dudes? He's gotta have dudes, oh, right? Where's oh, uh, where's just oh, no. <laughs> it's just going oh, off the rails. No. All right, back to Geno's turf. Back to Geno's turf. All right, oh, so yeah, listen, that's what we're doing. It's uh, it's <laughs> this is like a pre-show during the show. Um, so it's grub season, right? People are thinking about grubs. People are nervous about grubs. Things all that like that. I've seen some grub questions come through on our server here, and it was actually a a, a good question. We'll kind of highlight that and maybe throw that up. Uh, compliments of Evie, but right now let's watch this video from Jeremy at the Greener Lawn. Should you use a preventative for grubs? Well, let's go tell you what a grub is. A grub is a larval stage of a beetle. So if you have beetles in your area, you're going to have grubs. Yes, they are going to be in your lawn. Everybody's going to have them. Now, how do we qualify whether or not they're going to cause damage? Because not everybody gets grub damage, correct? Grubs, their damage is secondary. They only show damage if the lawn is not performing well. So it is a sign that something is wrong in your lawn. If you're watering correctly, it isn't watered correctly. It has fungus <sighs> and it can be succumbed by the grubs that are down in the turf. So that's <sighs> the reason why you would want to use a grub preventative. So when to apply a preventative for grubs? Well, it depends on one, what kind of grubs you are dealing with, the identification of when they are laying their eggs and before they actually hatch because you want these preventatives down into the soil before they actually hatch. So when do you want to apply the preventative? 
for most people, anywhere from late March until middle of June is going to be awesome timing. But remember, identification of what species that you have and learning its life cycle will be key for ultimate control. Okay. In the very last sentence, there was a, was a, was a key one. Remember that identification and understanding the life cycle of the grub is key for control. Something to that effect, right? Mm -hmm. and, and I think Jeremy misspoke here when he was talking about worrying about when eggs are hatching and timing up because that's not at all what we're worried about, right? When we make a grub application. Okay. Mm -hmm. So let's start with the, the, the part. That we're this is where we get to you know get into it a little bit and uh um to our haters that are watching on the gobbler we love, love you. you guys we really do all right so now here's the thing he talked about in the middle part in there that this is secondary damage that you'll see and how do we know if there are you know how do we know if it's going to cause damage right so his first statement about, you know, it's, it's secondary damage because we're not mowing right, or we're not watering right, or we've got fungus or something else, and that's what's going to cause grub damage. That's wholly inaccurate, okay? That part right there is inaccurate. And the reason that we know that is because grubs only will cause commercially uh, destructive damage, right, when we have somewhere between 8 and 10 grubs per square foot, right? If you pull the lawn back and you see a grub or two, shouldn't be worried, right? The, west, the best way to do this, right, is if you see damage that looks like grubs, give it the little tug test, right? And if you start pulling mm -hmm. back big patches of turf, go ahead and give yourself a count. A 12-inch by 12-inch area, if you have eight or ten, more than 8 or 10, right, that's the, 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 the limit, right, the threshold that we're looking for, then you, should and then you know you have a problem. Now, let's back this up, right? We're talking about treatments to be preventative, right, against grubs. So, Ray, real quick, mm -hmm. on, uh, on, on grub control, right? What are the options yeah. that are probably out there for folks that they're seeing on the shelves of their big box stores or on golfcourselawnacademy.com? Where would they, what would they see on these sites that would be maybe the three different classes uh, that would be effective against killing grubs at different stages? Okay. You know, the classic was imidacloprid, and that's commonly the, mer the you know, merit is one brand name, then there's off-patent imidacloprid, and then there's the products now marketed by BioAdvance. Those are things that you can get at the big box stores. But guys, be careful because there are two different grub controls. One is containing imidacloprid, and then the other one is intended for when you're in that situation where you tug on your turf, then you dig, then you lift up a square of sod, a square foot of sod, and then you find the 12 grubs under that square of sod squirming around, then your option at that point is an insecticide called, chemically it's called trichlorophon. We all know that as Dilox. Yep. And then the third option that came onto the market in the last five years is called chlorantranilipril, or okay. aka Grubex or Acelaprin. Now, mm -hmm. this product is best used as an early preventative because it has a very long half-life in the soil and it's not very mobile in the soil. Mm -hmm. However, what's in its favor is it lasts a long time, 
and it is way less toxic to bees that happen to come uh -huh. in contact with it. Far less toxic. But, yes. Now, yeah. go ahead. But when we are talking about using a grub preventative like imidacloprid or chlorantranilipril, what we want to do is have that in the grass and watered in before, I repeat, before we actually see the signs of damage. And here's what I would do is I would think about the historical data and incidents for the region or area that I'm in. Does my neighborhood have a problem with grubs causing damage to lawns? Does my neighborhood have that problem? If it does, then it's a simple matter for me to decide, okay, then I better apply my grub control at the right times. And here's the, another little thing to consider in that he gives a rather broad uh, window yes. as to when you should put your grub control down. And here's the bit of nuance to that mm. window. If somebody is using chlorantranilipril, mm. it is better for them to be earlier. If somebody is using imidacloprid, it is better for them to be on the later end of that window because imidacloprid does not last as long as chlorantranilipril. Very important point. Now, Matt, you've told <laughs> me before, I told this panel that in your area and some of the areas that you've previously worked that grubs are seldom an issue, right? And so yep. for this to be, for the statement to be made that everyone's going to see grub damage and everybody needs to treat, how do you take mm -hmm. that in terms of a person that's operated throughout the Southeast United States? Uh, on as long as I have, only when I have historical evidence, uh, that is, that mm -hmm. is literally the only time. Uh, because, because yeah, you could go out there and you could treat it for the, for the first year, but typically in my experience, it's going to be like a three year thing that you deal with it with for whatever reason. I don't know why. And, uh, and it doesn't matter how vigorously the grass is growing. It doesn't matter how disease free the grass is. Uh, it's just one of those things. And so I use it from a historical standpoint. I see it, I treat it, and then it goes on preventative for at least another two seasons. Right. And then uh, mm -hmm. typically after that, I don't have to deal with it anymore. And, uh, and, and seriously, out of like 400 yards, I'm going to come across 10 tops Wow, that I'm dealing with grub issues. Now, yeah, so here in the Midwest, it's very prevalent across, you know, pretty much all of this area, right? So from a, a treatment standpoint, right, things you can do or things that you should be aware of. And Ray makes a great point about being earlier with chlorantranilipril, which is now the main active ingredient in Grubex. So if you're not sure, look at the bag, look at the active ingredient and what, see what you've what got. What about if March, though? No, March, March, March a little bit early. I think if you were, if you were further south, if you were a little further south, maybe you could, you could make that timing. Now there is some interesting data. This is an old study. This is back in 2008 ish, 2009 ish that Oklahoma state did on late applications. Uh, may, you know, if you miss the window or something like that with a celeprin, right. With it being a much, uh, uh, um, Jesus Christ. I can't think of the word, but anyway, uh, it, it, it's it, less, it's less soluble, less soluble, uh, less mobile in soil. Less mobile in soil. 
mm-hmm. that, hey, if you miss that one and you still go out in June, July, or August, hey, what happens, right? And those June and July applications were still 90% effective, right? So Oh, I've had improved- I've had great, great luck with that. And uh, and yeah. I and I also I'm telling you, this may have just been me. This may have mm-hmm. just been me. But leading up, what I mean within within days of seeing of where I, I would see damage, right? Like in, in the and the only reason I know this is because I had two I ended up picking up one property, right? And I knew I, I I completely bluffed on the uh, on the on the grub issue. Had terrible grubs the year before. Did not treat this year. I know I'm gonna have it right. And so um, about a week before, when I'm heading out for uh, aeration overseed, uh, I I am like, oh damn it, I forgot to do that because always aeration overseed. You show up and you run the aerator over it, and what happens? The grass wraps around your aerator drum, right? Because it pulls up like sod. I go out there, I see. The beginnings of damage. I dig around. I see them. I had a bag of a celeprin coated fertilizer on my truck, and I applied <laughs> it for shits and giggles. And I was like, well, "That's all I have." And I'm, I'm just, I'm going to put it out. I'm curious what's going to happen. Uh, anyway, I come back uh, three weeks later, four weeks later for aeration overseed, something like that. And the neighbor, while I'm over there, uh, comes out and is like, "Man, what is going on in my yard?" Sure enough, it, it, it was better than a doornail, you know, large, large swaths of it. And I was like, man, surely to goodness, my, you know, mm-hmm. it's not grubs. Right. And I went, pulled it up. Sure enough, everywhere. But the one that I applied that late, that late, you know, I couldn't find any when I was digging around in it. Matt, it could gotta, be, that st- could be happenstance, but I'm just no, saying no. as Matt? a rescue app, it worked. No, I got to stop you because the thing about chlorantranilopril is that provided you have the water, that shit's going to move, okay? It is going to move, and it's going to move to where it needs to go. So, And if they're at the I surface, it really doesn't have to move a whole lot, right? No, it doesn't have to move that much. And get the plant. The re- yeah, the reason why I say as long as you have the water, it's going to move. Well, that, that's why the uh, Hawaii Department of Agriculture has a hard, such a hard-on for because it moves enough for them to have a concern with it and and okay? that's the other that's <laughs> the other side of it so there's a few other things here on grub control while we're talking and this is again this mm-hmm. is joe knows turf so this isn't just you know beat up on the poor bastard that made this video although there is some of mm-hmm. that but there's also the learning and teaching component of it where we take this and try to unpack everything that's here so all that being said, if you're going to use a granular formulation from a big box store, check the bag, check and see what you've got. If you're going to use a liquid formulation, okay, um, my advice, my strong advice would be get yourself some type of a wetting agent. It does not have to be strong. Uh, multiple different ones available out there. really doesn't matter which one you use for the most part. Um, and I would include that in your spray just to move that product down through the thatch layer, right? So if there is any thatch, even a quarter inch, is enough to get this stuff hung up in there, right? So just be careful with that piece if you're not using a granular. The last thing I'm going to say is this, is that, um, you know, from a timing perspective, you know, if you do, if you are using uh, chlorantranilopril, right, and you're trying to use that also as an armyworm control, right, the other thing Mm. to consider here would be your timing. So if you're you're being a little bit late and you know you have armyworm problems and you're using uh, chlorantranilopril, be a little bit later, be in this like, you know, probably May timeframe, maybe late April, something like that. 
even into June if you really have to push it. Uh, but you're going to have much better success with that. Other questions that came in during our live chat, which are, is only available to those folks that are patrons, right, that come in here and check this thing out. Uh, there was a question about the, the longevity, right, in the soil. And, Ray, I believe the half-life of chlorinchinilopril in the soil is about like 972 days, something like that. So, you know, the idea that if you're, like- treating, if you're treating one year, you could, t- you could for all, all intents and purposes, probably skip a year. Now, I've never done it every other year. But I do, I've seen turf that's been treated two, maybe three years in a row. It's been skipped for a couple of years. And even, uh, I'll tell you what was interesting. We had the bad armyworm uh, uh, outbreak here two years ago now. And uh, mm-hmm. there was right, a, couple, right. a couple, couple of areas that I saw that were treated the years prior, two years prior, uh, back, mm-hmm. back to back. Skipped that year, zero armyworm damage. So, again, residual on that, pretty interesting uh, to see. So, well, well it is, uh, here's the thing about, doing it like that is that i can see how if you have a buildup from two consecutive applications i could see how on, in the third year you still have so much product carrying over from the previous years that you essentially have effective concentrations for that third year to where no army worm no grub not much of anything else because you have so much carryover because it is amazing, again, the longevity of this active ingredient. It is incredible. However, having said that, it still has the ability to be an early curative. And I also know that in case of actual armyworm infestation, nothing shuts that down faster than applying four to eight ounces per acre of liquid acelaprin per acre. And by the way, chlorentranilipril is commonly used in field crops like soybeans and alfalfa for mm-hmm. caterpillar control in the growing crop. And guess what that replaced? Metaclopril, carbaryl, carbaryl. <laughs> so again, okay. and, and, and that's the, that, that. This is for for real. The last point I want to make is that it's an. Hang much, on, before you much, make the last one, can I? Can please, I? Please, the, please. One thing I wanted to you ask never is talked that, you, you never talked during these, man. In uh, in order of, w- would you say is it more important identifying the um, uh, the type of grub you have or the active ingredient of your control product and understanding the timing, uh, uh, duration, um, and efficacy of that product. The latter for sure. I mean, if you want to get down and look at raster patterns and things like that, I mean, European mass shaver here in the Midwest is going to be the most prevalent grub that you're going to find. That being Mm -hmm. said, the way in the, the way that the mode of action works on both neonics and with diamides like chlorinchronilpril, it's not really going to matter. Right. So, that being said, the safety factor too, this is the last part I want to talk about here. That's really, really important, right? So from a safety perspective, right? What Ray talked about, Dilux, right? Trichlorophron, oh, organophosphate, bad news mm-hmm. stuff. It's, it's the whole bear 24 hour advanced, you know, grub killer, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. That is shit. You should mm-hmm. really not be touching if you don't need to be touching it. And the way yeah, to you don't do need to that, be... right? Go ahead. Mm-hmm. Is, is to get your 
probe preventative, don't. And if you have the opportunity to use chlorantraniliprol, use it. Because, yep. you know, to this day, I'm still alarmed by people that are, you know, I see them on, on video and they're very casually out there spreading that 24-hour grub killer dialogue stuff. And you, and you know why that alarms me? I still remember dialogues coming in a five-pound cardboard box. There was a skull and crossbone printed on the front of that box, right? And mm -hmm. you know what was in, in big red letters? Maybe fatal if inhaled. Yeah, you know, all those, <laughs> all those synapses between your nerves, you don't need all of them. I mean, you can give up a few of those. So uh, yeah. the, the way the, the, way the pro works, non-toxic to humans, uh, mm -hmm. dissociates calcium ions and the exoskeletons of in insects. So it's completely mm -hmm. non-toxic to humans. Doesn't even carry a signal word on the label, right? So caution warning damage yeah. doesn't have that because it's LD50 is greater than 5,000 milligrams per mm -hmm. kilogram. It's a safer choice. Mm -hmm. Don't You can't screw it up. It has nothing to do with the type of fertilizer you put out. It has nothing to do with the type of fungicide you're putting out, what you're mowing, how you're watering, any of that bullshit. Mm -hmm. Just use the right product. Make sure what you have is out there and go ahead and time it up at the right time. And if you have questions, reach out to us because... Joe knows turf, and so do we. Kiss your ass if you don't like us. <laughs> Check out this week's Burns. Strong possibility Sheila is in Epstein's books. I'll go with, with, without a doubt. Uh, in fact, her nickname <laughs> is the Lolita Express. It's a, it's a hell of a thing. Uh, the U.S. food pesticides contaminated with toxic forever chemicals has been identified via testing. Uh, PFAS are at potentially mm. dangerous levels in chemicals sprayed on crops. Uh, some of the U.S. most widely used food pesticides are contaminated with potentially dangerous levels of toxic PFAS. Uh, the U.S. EPA has previously been silent on PFAS and food pesticides, even as it found the chemicals in non-food crop products. The potential for millions of acres of contaminated food croplands demands swifter and stronger regulatory action, the paper's author says. I can't imagine anything that could make these products any more dangerous than they already are, but apparently my imagination isn't big enough, says the Environmental Health and Science Director at the Center of Biological Diversity. <laughs> That's funny. We've already talked about them in our headlines today. Yeah. And again... <laughs> Another one who has just a massive, massive, strong erection for this. Now, I, I don't want to downplay the severity of this, but what and, and here here's the part that has to be figured out, right, is what is in the container above the toxic threshold, or is it once it's diluted in solution to be applied that it's in toxic co concentrations, right? So there is um th there's a piece there that needs to be figured out then the second thing is is that it's very obvious where this is coming from it's probably in all likelihood not from the manufacturing process of uh of what the actual active ingredients are and the blends that go together to uh, make it shelf stable and all the fun bells and whistles they add to it to make it stay in suspension or solution or whatever uh it's probably from the container and i'll mm -hmm. just be straight up with you it's from the container and uh, and so the question is, is that if it's just a matter of packaging, uh, that seems to be an easy fix, right? So it's time, gather the data, make the corrections, make the fixes. Am I overlooking Matt, anything here? It seems relatively simple to me. No. Actually, Matt, it is not that simple because... Damn it. Okay, here's why 
this is a problem is that manufacturers at least especially in the United States do you know what I always like bitch about as far as the the products go why do they have to put it in such flimsy ass weak containers okay why and the reason why I ask that is because in many parts of the world you know what they pack up their uh, their pesticides in? Glass or steel? One or two. Glass or steel or aluminum or in the case of even like a, a dry flowable, all that stuff goes into a polyethylene jug or, or drum. It is not like a shiny paper bag because you know what, Matt? It's funny you should mention packages because I get suspicious of PFAS whenever I see some kind of a paper package. And the reason why I get suspicious is because they're paper PFOS, uh, plastic lined. Yeah. Well, it's the paper is treated with something to make it liquid proof, vapor proof, etc. And mm. the most commonly used material to have that property is PFAS, right? Because, fun fact for everybody that's following along, I think the most common source of PFAS is this product that I'm familiar with called Scotchgard. Mm. Huh. Okay? You know, the, you know the waterproofing spray for, for fabric and, uh, and shoes and whatever? That, that was all... PFAS type compounds because they're water repellent, right? And steam repellent and oil resistant. <laughs> How many people are running and grabbing their Scotch Guard out of the closet and just dumping it right now? <laughs> Get it out of my house. <laughs> you know, but you know what? This is how ubiquitous PFAS are. And the reason for even using PFAS is the fact that it's often oil resistant, water resistant, and it also presents a slick, non-static surface. So there's a reason for it being there. However, I'm saying that the reason why it's even there is because we want to pack up our chemicals in these flimsy little paper bags or Here's the other source of PFAS. It's also the vapor and oil-resistant coating that's inside of plastic jugs. Like, you know, your two-and-a-half-gallon plastic jug? Yep. Mm -hmm. That is often a two-layer where the outer layer is low-density polyethylene, and then the inner layer is some kind of more chemically resistant polymer and I've I've seen those jugs labeled as floral polymer lined LDPE for example I've seen that uh -huh. however when you tell me floral polymer my head immediately goes PFAS that's another name for PFAS yep where okay 
So my question becomes like, okay, why are we doing this when the rest of the freaking world, and of course I too, I'm old enough to remember when Roundup used to come in a five-gallon metal can. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I'm showing my age, okay? Because I remember seeing Roundup in a five-gallon metal can. Let's see, 240 aiming. I remember seeing that in a one-gallon metal can. Mm. You know? Uh, three-way, one-gallon metal can. <laughs> you know, as as back again, I I think I think, and especially with the availability of HDPE bottles now, you know, I think that, and and I know I know why this is going right because if you think about it from the standpoint when you're dealing with the volume that these chemical manufacturers are dealing with, right, you're negotiating deals all across the country in order to save mm-hmm. pennies because when you're moving a billion units, a penny is a you know that's a significant chunk of money. That's what a lot. That, that's a lot of money. Yeah. yeah. So understood. Um, it, yeah, and uh, but you know when push comes to sir, uh, come to comes to shove, and the, the the light is being shown on this, then you know there are alternatives and uh, and things that can be done. It's going to cost a little more, and I'm sure that would be passed along too. But if it gets agriculture out of this pinch, and therefore gets lawn care out of this pinch, then therefore uh, the ultimate end goal here is worth the effort, in my opinion, of just going ahead and being the front runner on that and being done with it. Uh, Utah launches a statewide turf grass buyback program. Uh, after record snowfall, it is, it has moved from 90% of the state under severe drought restrictions down to 20% of the, uh, state under moderate or severe drought. And, uh, so they are preparing for the next one. So they are offering an incentive program, uh, to replace turf grass with, uh, less thirsty landscape alternatives. Uh, they have allocated uh, $5 million in one-time funds and $3 million for more ongoing funds during this year's legislative session to kickstart the program. Uh, this is through Utah Water Savers, originally founded by Jordan Valley Water Conservancy District in 2017. Utans living in the area that have adopted new water efficiency standards for new construction can apply online and receive up to $3 per square foot of grass they replace with water-efficient landscaping through the new program. Uh, they are being, this is a proactive rather than a preactive, uh, rather than a preactive, a reactive approach. And, uh, and, you know, we'll see, we'll see who ends up doing what with it. Now I know you, Utah is one of those states that if I recall correctly, that, uh, the majority of the state, um, they are not charged for irrigation water. It's at a significantly reduced rate or something. I think, uh, is, is what we've heard from a couple of Utans that we've talked to and, uh, mm-hmm. which is different to begin with. Right. And, uh, and so, you know, I guess, you know, what, what they, uh, what they, what, what they see is like a long-term, uh, uh, data analysis project is that, well, you know, if we convert X number of homes, that's going to save X number of gallons. Uh, and then therefore that will be, you know, bias this X amount of time to, uh, uh, to stave off the, the next running out of water type deal. Right. So I'm sure the calculus is there and, uh, but, but we're also eliminating turf grass and this Demay, i want you to talk to me that uh what what are we seeing here is it all reward is there risk to reward ratio is it all risk where are we on it i mean it's a it's a response to a what's been a probably decade or so long problem out there you know uh-huh. how how it, how it all shakes out in the long term i don't know i mean it's a healthy sum of money to commit to to doing this and i think I, I would be interested to see about, you know, if it's just anybody, if it's just a grab bag of money that anybody can apply for, or if there are real tangible benefits of certain locations, neighborhoods, lot sizes, lot types, 
right? Uh, property, you know, where properties are within the community, things like that, that make the most sense to do this, right? And again, I, I still wonder too, from the standpoint of educating, you know, folks that are out there, whether they are, you know, lawn care operators or irrigation companies or even homeowners, right? About the effective best management practices for utilizing what water that they have and doing it judiciously, you know, even in the face of drought, especially in the face of drought. So uh, I don't know. I mean, it, it seems like that, you know, if you're going to spend $5 million on something, you know, what's the, what's the real value that you get back in terms of water savings, water usage, all that kind of stuff. I don't know how sizable of a dent that makes, right. Versus $5 million in outreach education, you know, doing, you know, doing an irrigation audit, like how many irrigation audits could $5 million buy to say, Hey, listen, we're going to have X, Y, and Z companies, you know, compete for the business to come out and do this right. And, and put their bids in. And then we're going to offer, you know, the first thousand customers, right. For each, whatever, each water district or whatever to come out and do this. Right. I don't know. I feel like that might be money better spent. Maybe they're doing that already in terms of, you know, the homeowners and the private citizens or property owners that are taking advantage of those things. I have no idea uh, on that part, but I would just say that it seems like a lot of money and I don't know how much of an impact it's going to have. It's like a feel good story is what it feels like to me. So, mm -hmm. uh, I'm all for mm -hmm. saving water. I'm all for doing better, but you know, there's still, you know, let's just say that this converts, whatever, what's that do? Let's do the, the math real quick. 5 million. What was it? Three bucks a foot. Mm -hmm. so three bucks you know, a square foot. One, one 1.66 million square feet divided by 43. Mm -hmm. So about 38.26 acres of turf. That's not a lot. That's not a That's lot. Not a lot. Boys. That's not That's a lot. That's not, not a lot. However, here's something that I saw, you know, when the article flashed up, that's very, like, important to me. And this is something that I'm always an advocate for. One of the provisions or mandates involves narrow turf grass areas less than eight feet wide, and especially okay. if they are on roadsides. I'm one of those people where you've always heard me, no fucking grass that is that narrow, and especially not if it's in a, such a situation where the potential for runoff and overspray from irrigation is high. I don't want to see it, okay? I really, really don't want to see these two-foot-wide strips of turf grass lining the streets of neighborhoods. I hate that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I really hate that. And by the way, I see that all the time here in Hawaii and it just chaps my ass. I, it yeah, really does. I think, <laughs> I think that's going to be, that'll be the telling thing, but 38 acres of turf ain't a lot. I mean, I just did the math, rough math out there, 40 million gallons of water saved. Again, 40 million gallons, nothing to sneeze at, especially in an area that's got huge drought, no water. Salt Lake's drying up. Yeah. It's, it's a bad, it's a bad situation, but mm -hmm. you know, let's, I mean, I don't know. I'd, I, I would love to do, dive in and do the math and just say, Hey, you know, if we wanted to save 40 million gallons between, I'm going to say, you know, 30,000 homes, right. How can we do that? Right. That's a better and more effective and long-term strategy. Right. Uh, that's going to get, get through and we'll see what happens. But anyway, I got an, I got, I got an alternate strategy for that. What's that? 
lift the ban on Bermuda grass in Utah. Oh boy. Oh yeah. No, 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 I'll tell you why. It's because you know when you tell me you're trying to grow turf grass in a region that gets extremely hot. And for the listeners at home, this is what I know about Utah. In the winter, it's covered by several feet of ice and snow. But in the summer, Utah is goddamn hot. And the, th- the thing is, is that the typical turf grass grown in Utah is Kentucky bluegrass, ryegrass, turf type tall fescue. And what I know about those grasses is the only way to even hope to keep them alive when it is hot is a lot of water. <laughs> yeah, I think that's, Whereas, that's, the whole, that's a good point. And, and, and with Bermuda grass, the deal with Bermuda is that it can be 80, 90, 100 degrees in the daytime. Uh, let's ask our friend Aldo what Bermuda thinks about a 100 degree day. Sign me up. So, yeah, it's like, <laughs> bring it on. Let's bring it. But then the whole point is, is that Bermuda grass under those high temperatures has no issues with existing and looking good under what's called an irrigation deficit. Meaning, you don't have to give it an inch and a half of water per week to keep it alive. You can get by with less. Whereas with the cool season grasses, you fall short of uh, meeting irrigation deficit. Say goodbye to the grass. And I know the guy who who can tell us all about that would be uh, Castleberry. Because Castleberry lost his lawn in the drought. Or Zach, yeah, or our, our, our itinerant attorney, yeah. Well, but that is the thing is that I never saw the sense of having a grass that doesn't tolerate high temperatures growing in an area where the temperatures get that high. I never saw the sense of that or the logic of it. <laughs> The last one we're going to cover here is a tragic, tragic accident. A golf course yeah. owner operator was killed in an accident. Uh, Adam Schlower uh, was so passionate about golf in the business world that he bought and ran his own course. He was the owner operator of a nine hole Heritage Creek Golf Club in Jameson, Pennsylvania. He died on April 20th after he was involved in an accident at Heritage Creek. Uh, this is, this is not good and it doesn't go into the details as to exactly what happened. But again, there are, again, it's easy to get complacent. It's easy to pull down your roll cage on your mower. It's easy to hop off a piece of machinery and not throw it and park and get out in front of it to move something. And something tragic like this happens. And it is, it's horrific every time. Gentlemen, ladies, while you're out there, be cognizant, be aware do the things that you hate doing safety-wise because it may prevent something like this from happening to you. Uh, there is a GoFundMe that is set up for him uh, and his and his wife and his child uh, that are that are going to have to go on now without without a dad, without a husband, and um, and and 
and this, his family's going to suffer the rest of their life for it. And uh, so anyway, uh, if you are of means to be able to do so, check it out. But otherwise, do not forget the reality of the situation. Uh, mm-hmm. Let's check out this week's returns. We are back, and uh, <laughs> congratulations to the uh, to the new king. Uh, I did not pay attention to it because you know what we uh, we 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 left England long ago, and I made the conscious decision to never return. Uh, what, what was what was the one that was going on in the uh, politics channel the other day? I'm sorry, I can't hear you over the sound of uh, the freedom ringing, right? And uh, so, yes, uh, not we won both not wars. It, it, yeah, <laughs> Anyway, uh, we will revel in 1776 and make fun of what uh, a couple of uh, actually what I would consider witty and creative gentlemen pranksters did. Uh, they mowed a giant penis onto the famous grounds of the Royal Crescent in Bath, England, where the <laughs> coronation party is said to be thrown in a couple of days here. And let me tell you, they did such an amazing job. The yeah. the accuracy on this. Wow. The, yeah, the straight that, that is lines. Incredible. The curvature. And, and, this is amazing. And you know what is you know why this is so befitting that? Huh. <laughs> is the woman that King Charles cheated on his first wife with Fuck me. is, you know, consort, the oh. queen, whatever. And you know what? This is befitting because every time I look at Charles, I think to myself, what a big phallic symbol. A big walking phallic symbol, okay? <laughs> well now there's a crown because, on that phallus ray yeah but then the things that he did you know as a man how how horrible and of course the culmination of this is diana lady diana oh boy i mean i mean that this is, is the part just... where ray ray covers candle in the wind <laughs> No, I, I'm not going. I'm not going to cover that part. But I'm going to. I'm going to say. <laughs> but okay, it is just so, so fitting that uh, Charles, your coronation ceremony, highlights. What a big walking phallic symbol you are. Okay, congratulations. Listen, I, <laughs> the only thing I want to say that why this is a return one it involves grass and two. That somebody in England <laughs> knew that not only was there a big event coming up, right? That there was there was something major, something mm-hmm. uh, you know, a, an ancient uh, ritual, all this other stuff. Somebody got the good idea. You know what? I'm not busy tonight. I think I'm gonna go mow a dick in the lawn over there <laughs> at the house. Yeah, you know, and and not only do that, but like there's got to be like cameras, got to be everything else up there. And this MF did a great job. So whoever you are, sir, wherever you are, America salutes you, and uh, and that big dick. Congratulations, yeah. sir. It's you the biggest win of our dick seal dick energies of, <laughs> of approval. Um, all right, we are going to dip out of here. We're going to go hang out with our patrons. Let them pick 
the title of this week's episode. I want to thank everybody for checking in. By the way, if you can, uh, whatever podcast app you listen to, uh, leave us a five-star review. Uh, you can put whatever you want in the comments. You can call us uh, egregious assholes, uh, dickheads, dick breath, uh, sea suckers, <laughs> Uh, uh, cunt faces. <laughs> you pick the poison; it doesn't matter. Uh, but what's just most important is that you make sure it is five stars, and uh, and we will we will live with the uh, with the text wall that that occurs as a result of it. So thank you for all uh, for checking it out, and we'll see y'all on Thursday. Bye. <laughs> Jesus cunt faces. I know you're not supposed to say it, but uh, I did. It. <laughs>